Today, I'd like to introduce to you my friend and colleague and student of Optimal State Yoga Therapy Program, Catherine Quayhagen. And Catherine is just one of those people that is amazing. Her personal bhavana or, or her intention when she came out of the Peace Corps in Africa was to come home and create a small town yoga studio. That's what she wanted to do. And as life had it, there were obstacles and challenges and changes of plans. She didn't actually get to have that small town yoga studio. But as she was reflecting, preparing for this interview today, she had this aha moment that, oh my gosh, not only did I not get my idea of what I wanted my life to be like, I got something so much better, something bigger and different and amazing that she could have never comprehended coming home from the Peace Corps and thinking of this kind of smaller vision for herself, like what she's doing today and what you're going to hear about in this interview is so much magic and so much bigger than anything she could have ever imagined and will continue to grow because she's only three or four years into this amazing thing that she's created. Like, I just want to give us all encouragement. Catherine was in our very first virtual cohort with the Optimal State Yoga Therapy Program. And I don't even think I could have conceived that in teaching yoga therapy online, our students would be qualified to go out into the world and and do what she's doing. Like my mind is even blown, right? And I, I believe in online learning. I think it can be a very rich experience. I think it's wonderful because it keeps costs down. You don't have to pay for hotels and flights and rental cars. I think it's great for people who are immunocompromised and don't want to do so much travel or maybe are neurodiverse and being in groups is very hard for us. There are so many reasons that online learning works really well for a lot of people. And to see her go out into the world and do the work she's doing just sends chills down my spine. And, and she said it best when she said every day of her life, she's chanting, Om Namo Namaha, I surrender my will. I allow something bigger than me to take my life in the direction that I need to go to live my dharma. This is what she said to me. And I want all of us to get into that space that maybe what we are here to do is not what we think we should be doing, but if we can let go into surrender and allow the divine, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, to guide us, we may just end up doing something different but even more amazing than we could have conceived. So thank you for, for listening to this podcast this morning. I think you're going to be amazed yourself at the work that Catherine is doing in just three years of taking yoga therapy. Many of you know that in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour, we have decided to do a little segment called the best of humanity. And if you have someone you would like to recommend as an example of the best of humanity, you can call the number in the United States, 909-754-4092. And that is a line specifically for you to leave a two minute summary of why you think someone should be nominated as the best of humanity. And you can either have us put your voice on the air, or I can kind of repeat the story for you. So if you have someone you'd like to nominate that made a difference in your life, we would love to have you call 909-754-4092 and leave a message. The best of humanity for me this month has been our Optimal State students. Many yoga therapy programs are going through really hard times right now with the COVID pandemic. And our students have stepped up and told their friends and their family and their colleagues about the great experience they're having in the Optimal State Yoga Therapy Program. 
that they're actually learning online very beautifully and and getting so much out of it. And it's because our students are willing to talk about the great work that we're doing at Optimal State, but also they're doing in the world that we are able to sustain our yoga therapy school. And I cannot tell you how much that means to myself, our faculty, our staff, that we are making it through this pandemic. We may not, you know, be making oodles of money, but we're making it. We're able to do our Dharma. And I really believe that's because of the dedication of our students and their willingness to go out and talk about what we're doing. And I just want to let all of the 160 students on the Optimal State rosters know how much we appreciate you. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Please nourish yourself, take time for yourself, and really relax into listening to the podcast. I would like to welcome you to my friend and colleague, Catherine Quayhagen from the New Orleans area in the United States. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Amy. It's great to be here. Thanks for coming. I'm so interested in this discussion, not only because I've known you for a few years and I see the great work you're doing in the world, but I feel like for the field of yoga therapy, you have really nailed down a niche that we could be very very successful in. And I don't think people have discovered it yet. And what I'm seeing from our optimal state graduates, both people who are working with you, but also people finding jobs out there, they are finding jobs in centers like you have created and you're working with. So you work with Long Branch Healthcare, four different centers in the New Orleans area. Can you tell us a little bit about these centers? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Long Branch Healthcare, we specialize in substance use um, treatment, but we also commonly treat co-occurring disorders. So whether that be mental health, behavioral health, um, sometimes physical health, we our four different centers are different levels of care. So we have a residential center where people will come and they live here. That's where I'm primarily located. It's in a tiny town called Abita Springs, Louisiana, which the town's motto is where nature makes miracles happen, um, which I think is set. No, it really set a great foundation for where our center is. And how long do they stay there when they come for residential, assuming they stay as long as they're supposed to and don't eject? Sure. So ideally our program is a 60 to 90 day program. We are a privately owned organization. So thankfully we have that flexibility. We are not purely insurance based. Some folks, it will be a combination of their insurance will cover a certain amount of days. We offer scholarships, we negotiate. So your average folk hopefully will be here between 60 to 90 days in a beta. And then our other locations, we have two IOP programs, which IOP stands for intensive outpatient programs. So these are going to be your folks who either they did our residential program and are stepping down to the next level of care, or when they call us initially and we assess where they might be in their addiction, it's not going to be your acute level of addiction. It's kind of your mid range. And so those folks are going to still be going to work, still be, you know, if they're a stay at home parent, still be actively parenting, just kind of living their lives. And then they see us three nights a week for three hours of group therapy. They have individual therapy and we have drug screens for that program. So those are our three locations. And then our fourth location, we call an extended care program. So that's our male only veteran only program that is based in Folsom, Louisiana, an even tinier town than Abita. And it's a six month live-in program. So there are different phases of this program. The first two months, they are going to group therapy, individual therapy, yoga therapy, four days a week, if not five. And then after they've done two months, then 
usually we're helping coach them to get a job at this point, to get a car. And so they're not required to show up at the clinical programming as frequently. So they might come three days a week. And then the last two months of their stay with us, that's kind of, again, that titration back into real life of, okay, now you're going to see us once or twice a week, but the majority of the focus is on you and your work with your sponsor and you getting yourself to the AA meetings to individual therapy and to work. Those are our four programs. I love the the wide spectrum and that you can meet people where they are, interview them, figure out how much support they're needing from, you know, like you said, the, the IOP programs all the way to you're going to stay with us for 90 days and we're going to help you reorganize and reformat your inner life as well as your outer life. Absolutely. And, you know, again, depending on their level of addiction or how many times they may have previously gone to treatment, some folks I will see here at our residential program for 90 days, and then we'll see them for six months after that at our extended care. So it could be nine months. I also, I failed to mention that we have a monitoring program that is a year long, which is probably our lowest level of care, but it is an app on the phone where they're going to be doing breathalyzers on the phone. They're going to be doing maybe urine drug screens with us once a month or so. Um, But we're able to still stay in contact and support them in that first year of early recovery because it's tough. It's really tough. And could this be recovery from any addiction? You mentioned mental health, physical health, behavioral health. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So primarily we're going to, we specialize in substances. So that's going to be your opioids, your alcohol, your barbiturates, your marijuana, things like that. But again, like I said, sometimes we call it whack-a-mole when you just have the addictive personality, which we know now can be genetic can be situational, which again, plays into the acuity of the addiction. Once you take away the substance, then other addictions might pop up that we call process addictions. And so we might see sexual addictions there. We might see gambling. We might see even over-exercising or food disorders. So sometimes a client will come in with the understanding of what's in front of them in that moment. And then once we get maybe 30, 60 days into treatment, something else might pop up. And so that's when that longer range of care is really helpful to just hold space as things arise. You know, you used this word that was new to me a few weeks ago called process addictions. And when my husband and I were creating a chart for you based on the optimal state system, it was titled process addictions. And my husband said to me, honey, what does that mean? Is that the title I should give it? And I said, if that's what she wants, make her the chart. So tell us what does process addictions mean? Yeah, I think that it's a newer term. I think in the past, clinically, they may have been called cross addiction, or you'll just see cross addictive behaviors. It's been really fun for me and through my yoga therapy training to look at the process addictions through that lens. And so if I had to define it informally through a yoga therapeutic approach. The process is referring to the process of the nervous system trying to regulate. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And so if we use that definition, I guess you could apply it across the board to include all substances. But the process is whether we're conscious of it or not, the nervous system being dysregulated and it needs to go through a process to regulate. And so whether that process be, I think a process is going to be more behavioral. So those, those ones we were previously talking about, like sexual addiction, gambling, over-exercising, the process is going to be more action-based where you're pretty straightforward substance addiction is going to be less action oriented through the body, through the peripheral nervous system. It's going to be, I've decided to take a substance. And so I'm going to take a substance to regulate. I love that, that differentiation that all of us, as Gabor Mate says, have addictions that are just coping mechanisms for some suffering we're having. But then this idea that you have kind of 
explained to us just now is sometimes we'll go to a kind of an external substance to help us self-regulate. And other times we'll take behavioral or actionable steps in our life to self-regulate. Like I self-regulated this morning with a run in weights. Mm-hmm. Wasn't an ad- addiction, thankfully for me, but but that's how someone would develop an exercise addiction, right? Absolutely. And so if you still have the addictive patterning, then what may start as a healthy regulator, like running, can easily and quickly be taken to an extreme where it is no longer healthy, where it is harmful. And so I think it's amazing where yoga therapy falls into that process of slowing down and saying, can I feel in my body when I'm running, when I'm starting to get to that cusp of harmful or not harmful? And I think with a lot of addiction and a lot of process addictions in particular, that self-awareness is what's lacking. And so it's, you know, redefining for the person that is just trying to regulate, hey, what you're doing is not wrong. We just want to slow it down and say, is it healthy? And can we be aware of the, the window, which can be a millisecond of when it turns into unhealthy? Understand that that line, because I think for a lot of people, we, we think more is better. If mm-hmm. I can work out three hours a day instead of 30 minutes, well, of course, that's more healthy. But what defines that line that tips you over into what you might call an addiction versus just a really healthy lifestyle habit that you're have a routine with? Yeah. Gosh, I wish it was a simple answer. (laughs) That's a complex answer because it's going to be different for every single person that walks through our doors and every single person that walks through the world. And the main things that you want to look for are kind of the, the circumstances or the effects that come from the process addiction. So if you're noticing that, okay, we'll go with the example of exercise since we've used it up to this point. If you're noticing a fixation, like a mental fixation on your exercise, that can be the kind of the yellow flags that you're getting into that addictive territory. And so what we try to do here, if so technically my role at Long Branch is the wellness director. So I also oversee their physical fitness on top of their yoga therapy. And so if we start to see some of that over-exercising tendencies, then I'll have a conversation with them and say, hey, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to just this week say no exercising. And let's see how that feels for you. And I have had the full spectrum of reaction to that. I have been yelled at. People have just, for lack of a better word, kind of spun out. And when that happens, that's when we're able to say, okay, we caught it. We caught it before it became unhealthy, right? If you're past that catching it in the early phase, other things to look for are if you're isolating. Mm. So, and I love this because it goes back to the yoga therapy charts in the exercise chart in the gold zone. It says, are you able to hold a conversation when you exercise? And if you're isolating when you're exercising, then you're not holding a conversation with anyone. Or you might be talking to yourself, no judgment. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) But, But I love getting to refer back to that chart when we're talking about, okay, when does my exercise become addictive exercise. So if you're isolating, if you are really rigid in thinking, if I don't get three hours, then none of it counts, right? Right. I can't find that middle ground. It's very black and white. And then if it starts to take a toll on your relationships, your family, your friends are saying, Hey, we never see you. You're always at the gym. We want to see you more. And you really kind of disregard that. And again, it's not that it's, that is who the person is at their soul. It's when you have active addiction in your brain, in your peripheral nervous system, it wants to stay alive. And so it's going to try to kind of glob onto anything. And so, like I said, living in recovery is a beautiful, beautiful way to live 
it is a constant mindfulness that I admire in people in recovery because they are having to constantly say, okay, I know I'm not using a substance, but are my other actions addictive or not addictive? And that example you gave earlier about whack-a-mole, that even if maybe your exercise gets taken away as an experiment for a week to see how your nervous system and mind react, what what pops up then? Right. right? Right. And most of the times in, in treatment, what we see is there may be some level of unprocessed trauma or undigested emotion that's right underneath that the body trying to regulate, right? And it's regulating through addiction. And so if you take that out, then we're able to say, okay, let's look at this that was underneath it, that trauma, that undigested emotion. Let's look at it while you're here. You have a therapist, you have a full staff to hold space for you and to listen and be here for you before you're back in the world. And I love this model of using yoga therapy, which is what you're doing along with the other physical health and wellness, because the referral system is right there for you. You have a you know licensed mental health care provider that you can just say okay go see you know stephanie <laughs> or whoever it is and i think that is really beautiful it's differentiating between kind of the talk therapy model and this idea that yoga therapists can help you self-regulate your nervous system and both are needed absolutely absolutely and i think it's a very i feel very grateful to be here um because, you know, on top of our clinical psychotherapy staff, we also have what we call recovery advocates who are people who are in recovery and are here as a reference for the, we're a 12 step based facility. And so they're here when maybe it's a more addiction, solely addiction issue that comes up, then I can go find a recovery advocate who I might know has struggled in the past with over-exercise and say, hey, do you think you have time to talk to this client? So it's it's a really beautiful model. Well, tell us more about it because the way that I see you practicing yoga therapy and and even the kind of motto of the town fits so beautifully into the Vedic teachings and what I call lifestyle medicine or lifestyle re-engineering. What else are you all doing there from a lifestyle perspective? Yeah. So I was very lucky to come into Long Branch Healthcare right at the beginning. And so I was able to advocate and kind of develop thanks to their trust in me um, a program that is based around yoga therapy and that lifestyle medicine. So our clients in our wellness department, at least here in Abita, they do three to four days of group yoga therapy every day, or I'm sorry, three to four days. And two to three days of physical fitness, which are main primary focus in those physical group, physical fitness areas are mental health as opposed to physical health. Um, obviously every week they get four yoga therapy group sessions and two other exercise sessions per week. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. I mean, to even hear you say, I'm just thrilled over here that even the two kind of physical fitness sessions are focused on mental health. I don't mm -hmm. think a lot of people get that. Tell us yeah. about yeah. So when a client comes in, I meet with them one-on-one -on -one to kind of redefine what we hope their experience here is going to be. Because I think when we, even in other treatment facilities, there is an emphasis on the wellness aspect being musculoskeletal. And so you're either going to get stronger, you're going to get more flexible. And so I try to be very upfront right off the bat. Of, hey, we've developed our wellness department around the nervous system and regulating your nervous system. And that's going to be different for everyone. So we have a lot of different services that we offer in the wellness department. Some of them are required. A lot of them are optional because we want you to at least try them all out and find what works for you with the end goal of being regulating your nervous system so that both your body and your mind feel whatever that, whatever 
feeling may be appropriate for that person, whether it be, you know, if they're coming in with a major depressive disorder diagnosis, then maybe it's that they are feeling a little more energized from our wellness program. That's great. Or if they're coming in with a generalized anxiety disorder diagnosis, maybe it is that they finally start to feel grounded and calm and cool. So it's very individualized in that sense with the overarching focus being our, no matter what the modality that we're doing, whether it be they get acupuncture once a week, they are offered massage therapy every week, they have Tai Chi every week on top of the yoga, the personal training, we go on nature walks every week and we have a community garden every week. So whether it be any of those things, our main focus is you come out feeling embodied and feeling safe. And, you know, I lift weights to bring down my vata. Whenever my vata is high, I lift weights. It's, it's a great muscular benefit to lift weights also in older age, but that's not why I do it. So I think that's a, people don't think of exercise as nervous system regulation. And I, I think we need to start all of us need to think of it that way. I agree. So did you come up with this buffet of options where they can do personal training and go on a walk or do some gardening or get acupuncture, or did they already have those things in place? So we started with just yoga and it was pretty typical to what you'll find in, in other facilities, which I think is a good starting place, just having yoga available and accessible. But the original plan was I was going to teach yoga three days a week. And then like you and I know, the yoga started working and I was able to say, hey, this is the feedback that we're getting from clients and I'd like to build a whole program around it. And I actually had not just gotten back, but in the last five years had gotten returned from the Peace Corps and Peace Corps living changed my life completely. And so my intention coming back to the United States from that was I want to recreate the structure of that life as much as possible. And so I was trying to do it in my personal life. And then I thought, well, why not? If I'm given the opportunity, why not try to create it for these folks that might need the grounding that it brought me while in treatment? And so I just reflected on my Peace Corps life, which I, I now know is sattvic living. <laughs> I think I didn't have the term for it at the time, but living in sattvic environments, um, both physically, mentally, emotionally. And closer to nature, right? Mm -hmm that part of what you're saying like you're you're communing with the earth you have a community tell us tell us more about that peace corps experience because i think that is the yogic lifestyle i would agree peace corps was you lived your life according to the cycles of nature around you and it was you know from waking up when the sun came up because you didn't have electricity to going to bed when the sun went down to getting water in the morning and, you know, mindfully washing your dishes outside after every meal to walking everywhere or riding your bike everywhere. There were no vehicles and to making a living off of what your natural surroundings offered you. Not me in particular as a Peace Corps volunteer, but the villagers that I had the pleasure of getting to live with. And, you know, I had been to yoga classes before going to Peace Corps and, you know, full honesty was there for the physical benefits. So I started doing yoga, like the little yoga that I could remember in those classes while I was in the Peace Corps. And again, now that I have the knowledge and the terminology to refer back to it, I think that doing yoga in that sattvic state, something happened and something clicked. So yeah, sorry. I think that was a long roundabout answer. I forgot the original question, but yes, I would say regulating with the, your natural surroundings would be my biggest takeaway from that time in, I was in Madagascar, so in Africa, and bringing it back here to Abita. 
I think what you're saying is so critical for our guests to hear because we are not hopefully creating a lifestyle where we're running ragged 14 hours a day, completely out of balance in the vata or pitta or kapha direction. And then you get your hour on the yoga mat and that's your yoga. The the idea, and I tell people this all the time, you know, maybe at first our yoga or yoga therapy is pacifying the lifestyle we've created for ourselves, but there has to be a bridge where you have this self-awareness and you decide I, through reflection on my yoga mat have realized I need to change my lifestyle. And as you're saying, live a sattvic lifestyle, which then feeds back into deeper self-connection, self-regulation and being of service that you strengthen on your yoga mat. And I think so many of us in the yoga and yoga therapy worlds have not done that jump. We haven't gotten into balance enough to realize like, oh, I I need a big shift in my lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. in fact, even if we quit our corporate job or our teaching job or medical job, we just create the same chaos again as a yoga teacher. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think especially the way you worded it, it's very parallel to the process of addiction where people, by the time they're here in treatment, are going to have to do a complete lifestyle overhaul. And so they can't regulate with those substances. And I think it's there's a spectrum of it all, but another process addiction can be workaholism. And, you know, it. I think emphasizing that no one is at fault for any of these regulatory processes. I think that our society as a whole has tried to regulate in collective ways that make it really difficult as an individual to detach from those collective regulatory practices that we've kind of been forced into. I mean, I think in the last few years, it seems like things are shifting and there's some discomfort there, but it's exciting. I think we would call it tapas on our end. Yes, (laughs) yes, absolutely. And I think my friends, I feel honored to call them friends and the people I knew back in Africa, the simplicity of both their outer world and their internal world was palpable. And I think we are, we are pretty far from that, but I think, you know, both cultures have pros and cons. And so this negotiating process of saying, okay, what can I keep from my native land culture, my familial culture, my professional culture that works for me and realize the limitations of those cultures and look outward when need be to negotiate a life that keeps, that keeps me sattvic in the world. And I love that you were kind of imprinted in Madagascar. And when you came home, you said, personally, I want to create a simple sattvic life close to nature and having these daily routines. But how amazing that you brought it to Long Branch Healthcare and said, I think this might be a a real part of helping people with their addictions. And how was that received? Did they, were they like, oh, hallelujah, you nailed it, lady, let's do this. Or were they like, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Tell us more. No, um, I think that they were oddly intrigued by my plan. I mean, (laughs) that would be the right wording. And again, I am so grateful for them allowing me the space to kind of create this. I mean, we we could call it off the wall program, but even now, can I interrupt for a minute? Sure. Been on some of those earlier meetings with your CEO and from an outsider's perspective, watching your team try to figure this out and implement it. I was like, wow, they are so supportive of what she is envisioning. And, you know, a young woman CEO, she, she just seemed totally on board. Yeah, I think, I mean, so in January, we'll have the organization as a whole will have been open for five years. And so I think that um, they, yeah, I mean, both in creating the physical space and creating the support and hearing me out have been completely wonderful. 
absolutely wonderful. And it's my hope that it is like you talk about frequently that energy exchange where it's giving back not only to our clients, but to the organization as a whole. And I think we're finally at that point where they are starting to see, you know, in, in concrete, tangible ways, how this helps outside of the, you know, not that they're just as great, but like the anecdotal ways that we talk to our clients who say, I love this. We're starting to see more, you know, research-based effects that this is helpful and it's something we want to replicate. Like, cause to me, that's one of the most exciting things about what you're doing by now. Everyone may have figured out that Catherine went through the optimal state yoga therapy program and there was a point where we kind of decided like if you're going to be doing all this work and teaching all these practices every week we might as well collect the data and have hardcore numbers to show that this works so tell us about the research how you envision that maybe what some of the dependent and independent variables were such as pain or sleep and so just tell us about the research and and who are the subjects in the research? Yeah. So we started about a year ago with this research project with your help, with Marlisa Sullivan's help, with my good friend, Amanda Raines, who is a psychologist at the New Orleans VA help. And then also Heather Fontenot, the other yoga therapist we have here at Long Branch's help. That's our full team. Oh, and I, I want to give a huge shout out to our doctors here, Dr. Smita Prasad and Dr. Alphonse Roy. They are very supportive and very excited about being involved in our research here. So through the preliminary discussions, we kind of narrowed it down and saying, okay, what are the things that we think are, are hoping that are the outcomes of someone walking through this program? So our subjects are our clients that come in to treatment who are doing the three to four practices a day. And we decided that we would track any effects on anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, psychological flexibility, and meaning and purpose. It's three to four practices a week. Yes, I'm sorry. I think I said a day. That would be a lot. Yeah, <laughs> let's just get that clear. All right, so those are kind of the variables that you're testing to see if it has an impact. Yes, we ran some preliminary numbers just to make sure, you know, that things were in the going in the right path that we hope they would. And as those stand, I have them here. Our clients' anxiety levels are, have dropped five points in their time with us. Their depression levels have dropped 6.63 points in their time. These are all 0. 0.001 statistical significance and major clinical significance. Yeah. Yes, according to Dr. Raines, the PTSD in particular, which are clients' PTSD side effects, the points have gone down by 14 points, is comparable to prolonged exposure, which is the VA's primary and preferred trauma therapy modality. It's big, and I, I want to mention psychological flexibility went up by 1.2 points, and psychological inflexibility went down by a point. And it, their sense of meaning and purpose went up by 3.69 points. So, yeah, like you said, so statistically and clinically significant. Correct. Yes. I'm just blown away. And how many people have gone through the study so far? Because I know we're starting a second round now, but how many people so far have, have you worked with? Cumulative, you have, we have 92. Wow. It's just yeah. so exciting, Catherine. Yeah. And I do want to mention too, I don't think I mentioned on the front end that these are our veteran population. So the subjects, we take all clients, veteran or civilian, but these are going to be our veteran specific clients. And Amanda Raines, she works primarily with veterans on all sorts of mental health things, you know, like sleep and pain and meaning and purpose. And a lot of the things we were looking at but to even have her confirm that these are top level results and we should keep going to me when you have some, I don't know, last time I looked, she had over a hundred publications in this area, like yeah, publications. She's amazing. She is. she is a very passionate, very wise, very caring professional that I admire a lot. 
So the next step is, I understand we're going to get IRB approval, Mm -hmm. internal review board approval, and, and really start an entire new batch under the IRB approval that Amanda is going to help us work with. Correct. Yeah, that'll be through Tulane University down in New Orleans. And I I do want to say, too, that we, given the nature of the statistical battery for chronic pain, we haven't looked at the results for chronic pain yet. And again, going back to anecdotally, I'm really hopeful for those chronic pain numbers because seeing a lot of our acute chronic pain clients, I'll work with them individually on top of them. Um, getting group yoga therapy and the results thus far have been fantastic. So Catherine, what types of practices are you using to get these results? Cause a lot of time in research, it's like they did yoga. So you said four times a week as a, what we call a small functional group, they've all got similar symptoms. They've had an assessment to even get into the facility. So you kind of know where each person is in the group. That's not a blind yoga class where you're like, okay, today we're doing backbends. You're really targeting the people in front of you because you've had an assessment. So what types of things seem to work with this population to get these kinds of results? Yeah. So I have them split up into, there's a class of folks that have been with us under 45 days. So they're within their first 45 days. And then the second class is going to be our 45 to 90 day folks. And within that first class, we're only doing calming longhana, maybe a little bit of cleansing, but I would say the majority is going to be calming longhana sequences because the nervous system is so dysregulated at in early recovery. We've taken away its number one coping skill. And so it's going to be off the charts. You might've heard of pause symptoms, post-acute withdrawal symptoms. They're going to be highest in that 45 days. I mean, they can last up to 18 months, depending on how long the person has been using, but they're going to, I really feel for our patients in their first 45 days because they're put through the ringer. So all of our initial classes were intentionally chosen to calm, to soothe, to ground, to introduce cleansing a little bit, but mainly just that strong longhana. And then our 45 to 90 day clients are going to be doing samana practices. Brahmana, in my opinion, I will say I haven't done this in practice, but probably wouldn't come into a recovery scope until about a year of recovery. But samana, and we talk about this every time someone bumps up into that second class, we say, okay, the the practices are different here and here's why. We're going to start to introduce a little bit of upregulation to your nervous system and then bring it back down and tiny little bits up and then back down so that they can start to prepare for the stressors that are going to come outside of treatment. So yeah, really no Brahmana maybe could be something that we're looking at with our next project, but for right now, and especially within the parameters of the research, it's Langhana and Samana. I love that. This idea of first soothe and pacify what we call shamanam, right? And then once they get a little more stabilized, then starting, as you said, to upregulate a little bit and, and what I call circulate the nervous system. It doesn't have to just keep it in parasympathetic. You can bring it up a little bit. Okay, how does that feel? Can you bring it back down? Teaching them how to basically manage their own nervous system through these more samana practices. And then, you know, what I see just in my personal experience with working with people who have different addictions, I think you're right about a year out they're going to have to go out into the world and and be a warrior. I mean, let's face it, the, the world is hard. And when you have to go out and make your own way suddenly, you're going to need a little more strength, a little more confidence, a little more brahmana to, to get through the world. But they'll also have the tools of cycling the nervous system and soothing and pacifying it to fall back on. So they might have to do a more strengthening Brahmana practice and get to work in the morning. But when they come home, they'll remember, oh, Catherine taught me those soothing Langhana practices I can do before I go to bed. So to me, that's a beautiful stair step 
over time and they never lose the Langhana or Samana practices that you taught them. Right. And I think that Bill W. and Dr. Bob are the two guys that wrote the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. And, you know, it's been well documented now that they had longtime sobriety, but oftentimes with longtime sobriety, when you've had someone that at a very early age started regulating their emotions with substances down the road, living in sobriety can bring on some pretty low depressive episodes or kind of like a constant low level depression. So I think saving that Brahmana for when you start to see maybe some of that depression pop up can be really potent at that time and helpful. Absolutely. And I love it that you're actually using I, I hesitate to say this and it's no, no disrespect meant, but you're actually using the true teachings of India and yoga. You're not mm, whitewashing it. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, making it super Western. You're, you're like, no, we have these teachings from yoga and Ayurveda and we understand the effects or the theoretical effects of Langhana, Samana and Brahmana. And that is the theoretical framework that we're using. And that's really different. That has not been done in the yoga research before. People talk about what poses they're doing. They talk about what pranayamas they're doing. They talk about mindfulness meditation. But to have the theoretical foundation from the actual ancient texts and understand that this set of poses with these pranayamas creates a langhana effect, to me, that's a whole new paradigm that nobody else is doing in their research. And I personally think it is the future. It's how yoga and Ayurvedic researchers need to look at these things and then, you know, say that this actually is 2000 to 5,000 years old. (laughs) We didn't make this. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I credit all of that to my experience with optimal state, because when I started here at Long Branch, I was a 500 hour ERYT. And so I knew that in my experience, I knew that, you know, asana pranayama would be helpful, but there, I, I could feel that something was missing for this population that needed to fill a gap. And thankfully, I think you had her on your podcast a a few months ago, Becky Dino, who is my mentor that I love and adore. I thankfully just happened to walk into one of her group yoga therapy classes and everything lit up. I was like, this is the missing piece. This is it. And she, from there said that she was affiliated with optimal state. And so I've, I think that I feel very lucky to have been going through the last three years of the optimal state program simultaneous to being here at Long Branch. And so it was alert. It felt like a a communal learning process because I was learning new things and getting very excited about them. So then I could just take them straight into my group classes with the clients. You know, as I was learning what we're doing is Langhana, what we're doing is Brahmana, then I could explain that to them in hopefully, you know, clear terms so that they feel empowered and invested in the movements that they're doing instead of just, you know, kind of, mindlessly going through the motions Uh, on a lot of our feedback surveys. A lot of the clients say, I really felt like part of the process in the room and, and learned about myself instead of just checking yoga off of their daily routine box. I love what you're saying. You know, last night we had a lesson from one of our teachers in India named Narithya in our Wednesday night class at Optimal State. And she talked to us about the psychology of the different asanas, the psychology of the different pranayamas, the psychology of the different mantras. And the next week we're gonna go into the psychologies of different mudras. So you'll have to go back and watch those recordings, but yeah, a perfect framework that that's what we mean by embodied mental health care. That's what I mean, is that even though you're doing a posture, there's a psychology behind it, or you're Mm -hmm. doing a certain pranayama. It's not just the physiology that's changing, but there's the the client actually knowing that, 
oh, Surya Betana is about the sun. This is about heating. This is about bringing energy. That psychology is as important as an intention as the actual physiological change that happens from Surya Betana. Yes. Absolutely. And I think I had a client this week that we, in his personal practice, we were doing finger awesome with the flip and the end of the exhale. And it's amazing how frequently the finger awesome really stands out to this population. I don't know if that's across the board, but, um, he came in and said, I really, he called it, um, his funky, funky. He's like, this is my funky, funky that I do. <laughs> Okay, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're watching her do the finger niyasam with her hands. They're kind of like mudras, but but the funky funky. I love that. Yeah, he's like, I do my funky funky all day, even outside of doing my yoga practice. And I said, Oh, that's great. And he said, Yeah, it feels really good on um my pinky in particular. And so I went ahead and dove in with him on you do you want to find out why? And we talked about how each finger represents a different element. And for him, a balancing element is going to be water. I, I believe that's the pinky. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked about how his constitution is more fiery based on our assessment and our time together. And that, you know, his body obviously wants to be in homeostasis. And so for him to have the insight to say, I really enjoy the pinky in particular, um, I think it was very validating for him to hear why that was the case and and on the psychological level, why that happened. And that there is a reason and a mechanism. It's not just rub your fingers on your other fingers, that each one is an element and oh my gosh, he's probably out of balance in the direction of fire. And what a beautiful thing to realize that touching his thumb across his water finger just soothes him and makes him feel better. Like I'm still feel like this is so almost like miraculous. I don't know how you feel Catherine, when you have an experience like that with a client, but I have it happen several times a week and I just find it like magic and it thrills me. I don't know if you can hear my voice, but I'm thrilled by it. No, I completely agree. And I think I, I love the nature of, and I know that this is the nature of some psychotherapy as well, but I really love the nature of empowerment in the yoga therapy practice, the client being empowered and the client leading the sessions and the process, both internally and externally and the individuality that they are practicing and doing their practices outside of sessions with us. I think, and you know, I've thought about this a lot because um, especially being in this setting, the more emerging clinical practices like somatic experiencing and EMDR and I think that I forget what the new one is called. Okay. I know there's biofeedback and there's another one that I can't remember, but I really gravitated to yoga therapy because it was a sustainable practice where honestly, most of the work is being done outside of session where it felt like some of those other practices like somatic experiencing, there was still that dependency being, whether it was conscious or subconscious being created by, okay, I go see, you know, as the client thinks, I go see my somatic experiencing therapist and I do somatic experiencing in those sessions. And then I leave where yoga therapy says, these are your check-in sessions and you go do the work in your day-to-day life. And uh, there is no right or wrong way to do that work. If you end up doing it once a week, that's great. But if you end up doing it five days a week, that's great too. And so I, I really loved the accessibility and lifelong tools that yoga therapy provides to its clients. And yeah, it's miraculous. I, I think actually what you just said is so important and it's actually missing from some people practicing yoga therapy. And I really want to make it clear that we develop a lifestyle routine and personal practice to be done on your own outside of the session. And then, like you said, you come check in to maybe revise it, but you actually have to do a daily practice every day. And in our, in our training program, you can't graduate unless you yourself have done that lifestyle shift and daily practice 
for several years. I think that's unique about the optimal state program that no, you don't get to graduate unless you too have gone through that transformative experience yourself. You can't teach other people to do it. If you're not willing to put in the work to change your lifestyle, make it more sattvic and do that daily practice every day, whatever that is, maybe it's breathing, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's asana, maybe it's walks in nature. I mean, it's a very loose structure for what that has to be, but I I just love that too about yoga therapy. So, so Catherine, we're getting close to the end of our time before I show the long branch website and show this beautiful facility. Is there any last words of wisdom that you want to give us? Or is there a vision for the future of, of what you're doing? Cause this is just the beginning. It is. It's exciting. My hope is that we both in the addiction treatment industry and, you know, collectively as a society start trending towards these simple ways of being both with ourselves and with others. And I think we're going to, and I don't say this with fear in my heart or a negative undertone. I think we're going to start to see more addiction in the future. And so it is my hope that we can get in front of that and create spaces where it is normalized. The stigma falls by the wayside. And we, like you said, recognize that we all have addictive tendencies and it's a a way to survive. And there is life on the other side of that survival. You know, I was thinking that as you were talking, I think we could all admit that we have addictions and we could all use a 60 to 90 day stay getting back to nature, getting into daily routines, developing self-awareness again, watching our coping mechanisms pop up like whack-a-mole. I mean, who couldn't benefit from that? It's what we all need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's what we're yearning for and when we get really quiet with ourselves. Those of us that are kind of, you know, out juggling day-to-day life, I think it's what we're yearning for. And it's my hope that the space, the time and the space open up for more of that. Mm. So just to finish today, I'm bringing up the website for Long Branch Healthcare. So it's www.longbranchhealthcare.com. And the the beautiful residential center in Alberta Springs is on the website. Those of you who are watching this on YouTube can see it. And it says healing from the roots, addiction and mental health treatment in Louisiana. I just love it. It's, it's gorgeous. It's very peaceful here. We have a, just one block away. We have a 36 mile nature trail. It's we're really lucky. And, you know, I want to say, especially now that we're looking at it, that we do take clients from all over the U S you don't have to be Louisiana based. Our admissions department is always here to talk to you and see what your options are based on your insurance or your location. Okay. I have to read some of these. It says residential addiction and mental health treatment. And then the the therapies they list are cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, trauma therapy, yoga therapy, psychodrama, experiential therapy, art and music therapy, family therapy, 12-step immersion, and more. A lot of therapy. (laughs) Yeah, but it's beautiful to see yoga therapy up there on the stage with all these other maybe more commonly known Mm -hmm. therapies. And I really believe that what you've created here, Catherine, both within Long Branch, but I think people are catching on to this. And as we have more addictions in society, which I agree with you is, is probably going to happen. It's rough out there. I would love to see this model spread far and wide. Me too. Me too. And it's my hope we have more staff coming in here at Long Branch. And I think if that happens, then I'll probably start processing how to, how to disperse this model. Kind of create a system around it and replicate it. 
Yeah. So that's maybe in the future. I know we also want to start getting resources together for our alumni and our families of loved ones with addiction. I'd love to do some virtual yoga therapy for them. Um, Our whole team here is talking about that. Well, thank you for sharing your brainchild with us and all the amazing work you've done in just three or four years. It's shocking and remarkable and I love that you brought this way of living and seeing the world back from the Peace Corps. And I'm, I'm happy to know you and watch you blossom and do this work in the world. And I look forward to further research studies as well as replicating this, not just for people with inpatient and outpatient addictions, but for all of us, this is yoga therapy. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Amy. It's been a pleasure to, like I said, learn. I I am constantly amazed at the way life has come together and learn more about these ancient practices that have so much wisdom to bring to us as we go down this path. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Amy. I would like to thank Catherine Quayhagen, and I'm going to put her little mini website up on the screen in case any of you who are watching on YouTube would like to contact her. It's www.katherinequayhagen, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E dash Q-U-A-Y-H-A-G-E-N, yoga therapy. And one of the really amazing things that I love about what Catherine exposed us to today, which is the addiction treatment industry, is this idea of titration of care that maybe some people just need a little structure and to check in several times a week and have that support with an outpatient treatment center. Other people need to dive in and have the 60-day experience completely immersed in a new lifestyle or 90 days, even up to six months. I think this idea of people have different needs and one healthcare system like Long Branch can meet them where they are and give them the support they need, or even maybe start with more support and then kind of wean them off until they're living the life of their dreams on their own with the, you know, the fifth area, what she said, the the app where they're kind of monitoring them and helping them stay accountable to themselves through some kind of extended care. That's a beautiful system. I, as I said in the interview, I think we could all benefit from exactly what this program is. It doesn't have to be for addicts. It could be for anyone who's suffering. And I would love to see more behavioral healthcare companies adopting this more holistic model that Catherine and her colleagues have created together and then done research on to show that it works. I think this is the future of behavioral health. And obviously there's a mental health component and a physical health component because the biopsychosocial spiritual model, everything is, is together. But I want to encourage anyone out there who's in this industry, whether it's recovery or any behavioral health industry, to look at what Long Branch has created because it is a viable model for the future of humanity. And for those of us who maybe aren't having such an active addiction that it has completely crashed our life, I still think there's a lot in this episode for us to take from it. Stay close to nature, live a simple life, have your daily routines, have your support structure, have your daily practices, garden, maybe get acupuncture, massage, like all these things together, eating well, leaning into your community. All of us can benefit from this. And this is what I call lifestyle medicine or kind of a re-engineering of of your lifestyle. So I also want to say that starting in May of 2023, we're going to change the format of this podcast a little bit. So far, we've really been focusing on 
the field of yoga therapy. And it's almost like we are the choir leaders as yoga therapists talking to all the people in the choir. I want to switch that narrative. I want to go out there after May of 2023 and talk to the doctors, the general public, the behavioral health people. I want to get outside the field of yoga therapy and really show what yoga therapy can do as lifestyle medicine, as helping to regulate the nervous system. I want to get into the public conversation about how to help people live happier, healthier lives. So expect a big change after May, 2023. The conversations are going to be quite different. And I personally think it's time for us as yoga therapists to move beyond just talking to other yoga therapists, that we need to get out there into our communities and create things like Catherine has created at Long Branch. That is when yoga therapy is going to be a household name. So prepare for that change on the podcast. I am already planning for it and looking forward to it. Have a great day. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.